Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today, as always. Uh, have a so one of the things that I love the most about this show is that I've gotten to meet so many awesome people over the years, and I have back with me Tim Percival, who um, it's. I was also thinking like, oh, it's so great to see you and have you back because you've offered so much valuable information, but it's often around some sort of disaster or, you know, unfortunate events. It's like, great to have you back, but unfortunately, what has inspired <laughs> what has inspired this is what's going on in Houston right now, which is um which is really, really devastating for the the families there um and their pets. And we I think the first year you were on was in two thousand eleven and it was about disaster preparedness and how to prepare as best you can for a natural disaster with with your pets in mind. And there was a lot of really, really great information in that. We've actually done a couple shows on that. So you can go back into our archives and find those either on iTunes as a free podcast, or you can go to our website, dogradioshow.com, and just go to 2011. And um, you can find that for, uh, you know, preparing for disaster. But first of all, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. And you are actually um, kind of waiting to potentially be deployed yourself down to Houston to be one of the people on the ground working to help help down there. And, and you know, w- would you be actually rescuing animals? Like, what, what would you be doing? Well, I wouldn't be able to go until next week because of personal obligations. Okay. But if I were to go, yeah... It, I could be doing a whole host of things. I could be doing field work, so going out and rescuing animals in the field. I could be setting up a shelter. I could be doing um, just different caring of animals or even just working with uh, officials, making sure that the animal groups that I'm working with are working with the correct officials in Mm -hmm. the correct way. And you have been... uh doing this work or at least started training for this work you said since 1989 yeah i started um the first training i ever did was right after exxon valdez Mm. and so and that was to remove oil from birds Mm. i didn't get really heavily into it until about 10 or 15 years ago Mm -hmm. and uh, now i do it fairly often Mm. well i was looking um you know looking online and doing some research this morning in preparation for this and it just you know I'm seeing these photos of um, people carrying, you know, wading through waist deep water, carrying their dogs. Um, Some photos of of dogs who are, you know, there was one Facebook group that was set up for uh, communication of animals that need nine, like 911 now, like, you know, and, uh, I just it start. I started welling up. It just is so heartbreaking to see this happening and and to imagine uh, being in that situation and you know for our own d- 
pets and animals who are our family to think of being in that situation is I just can't even imagine. And really wanting to today uh, focus on how people who aren't directly impacted, you know, in the area, how can we help and what are the best ways to help? Because unfortunately, there's uh, people with really, really, really great intentions who who maybe do more harm than good in some cases or who just aren't able to really help because they just didn't go the right path. And then, of course, now, which is so hard for me to believe, like that these kind of people even exist. Um, but like, you know, somebody setting up like a GoFundMe saying that it would be for some something related to this event and then just kind of pocket the money. So there's things to know. And that's why um, you're here today. And I'm so glad that you were able to make it in and share your, um, you know, your knowledge and experience on this. So in, in as far as like donating, you know, well, okay, well, like, well, what can we do? I want to donate, but where do I donate? Who do I donate to, to to make sure that the money gets used directly for this or that it's, that it's used for, not for something else or, you know, whatever. So, um, one of the first things before we get into specific organizations is that you said, donate money, don't send things. Yeah, correct. So I've been on several different disasters and it ends up being a disaster within a disaster with all the donations that we get. Mm. I've been in a disaster where we had eight warehouses full of pet supplies. A lot of it was like, I would say half of one of those warehouses was pretty much just junk mm. um, where people are sending blankets and broken crates and that sort of thing, and we couldn't really use them. But a lot of it is also dog food, cat food, litter, leashes, whatever. And it's all really good stuff, but it it overwhelmed us with the amount and it didn't it we didn't need that much stuff. There was there's also times where on a disaster we need specific items. And so if you donate money, the organization can buy what they need they can buy how much they need and probably one of the most important things is they can buy it locally which is help supporting the local economy Mm -hmm. so if they buy it from a local pet supply store that pet supply store may be able to stay in business after the disaster right so we've in kind of a number of different ways it really when something like this happens it takes the community a long time to recover it's going to take them probably years to recover after this yeah you're you're going to stop hearing as much media about this in the next few months yeah but that doesn't mean that work hasn't stopped Mm -hmm. there's there's going to be significant amount of work going on for months and like i said probably even years to come Mm -hmm. so send money don't send things you said there was an example of uh, like a truckload of bales of hay or something like that. That was like, well, or maybe as an example. So, yeah, I give an example. So if you were to uh, send, you know, buy a truckload of hay and send it to a fa- small farm sanctuary down in Houston, they may only be able to have 20 bales of hay that they can store at one time. Right. And if you're sending a truckload with, you know, 100 plus bales of hay, all the rest of that hay is going to go to waste. Yeah. So 
if you can send specifically what they're looking for uh, when it comes to cash or if they have a donation thing saying, you know what, we need this really expensive mm. piece of equipment, mm-hmm. then they can buy that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really going to benefit them the way that they need a, they need that equipment or those supplies. Okay. Um, okay, so sending money, and then it's like, well, okay, so ready to send money, but where? Um, and there's kind of two, ca- well, for the purposes of this conversation, you have your, your big national organizations, and then you have your your smaller, more local organizations. And um, donating to both is great. Um, and I think it's just kind of like what what is each individual, you know, what inspires each individual as, as their own choice as far as where they want to, you know, give their money to. Maybe these are people who already donate monthly to the larger ones, ASPCA, American Humane, those guys. Um and then there's this, these local ones. And actually, what we were talking about um, before the show is that, well, the, you know, Houston Animal Shelter, for example, could be flooded. Yeah, it could be totally out of service. And so they may have to take all those animals to outlying cities and outlying shelters so because they don't have the space for them. Or the people that usually volunteer at those shelters are impacted by the disaster also, including the employees. Mm -hmm. So they may not be able to care for the animals. So those animals may end up going to um, San Antonio or Dallas or Oklahoma city or Austin or wherever. Um, So if someone was inclined to to go with a more local, smaller organization, they might look at surrounding cities that are actually taking, uh, I know uh, one that, you mentioned was Austin Pets Alive, and we know that they're they have taken and will continue to take in animals from Houston, and that's AustinPetsAlive.org. And then, like you said, San Antonio, Dallas, uh, other surrounding areas that you know. Yeah. So you can just go and search and see. Oh, there's the, you know, Dallas Humane or Dallas Animal Shelter, and they're like, oh, we've t- you know we just got 150 more. Pets from Houston and blah, blah, blah. And so that might be a good option for sending donations to. Definitely. And those, cash. The, send, send cash to, to those. Or, I mean, not or, literally, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> a, a credit card to those, uh, those yeah. places. But, you know, you, you need to do your research mm-hmm. because you're well-intended, but there's people that aren't well-intended out there. Yeah. So you need to make sure you do your research and, and find an organization that fits your values. And that that fits you, what you believe in, and that you know that money will be spent in a in a good way, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of rescue organizations, and we have them here. And it, you know, it's uh, my friend and I start a rescue group, uh, but we, we, you know, we only can handle five animals or something at a time, or we we have a big foster area. So those places are totally legitimate and totally great places, but. Are they able to do what you want them to do? Same with same with some, you know, the Dallas SPCA. Are they do they fit what you want to do? So mm-hmm. there's a ton of places. So find the place that that you feel would best be uh, for what your needs are. Yeah, like resonates exactly. Yeah. Um. So in any case, donating money, you know, making a a, a donation, and a lot of these sites have that really are involved. Um, are set up for, for, you know, make a donation, 
um, for, you know, both pets and human related. Um, So one of the thoughts that I had, too, was that might be a good idea to make like set up a monthly donation so that it's something, um, you know, even if it's smaller, but then it's something that they're going to continue to get over the course of the next, you know, months and years or whatever to help rebuild because we said earlier that it's going to be a long road to, you know, recovering from this. Yeah, that's a great idea because it is going to take them a long time. And if they're directly impacted by this, they may not have any animals there or may may have limited animals there, but they may have to rebuild. Um, Anything that got wet, they're going to have to replace the drywall, Mm. for example, Mm -hmm. drywall, carpet, furniture. It just goes on and on and on. So it's something that, yeah, and it it doesn't require you to have to give, you know, $5,000 now, but over a longer period of time, you may be able to give $5,000. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's great to give smaller amounts on a regular basis and it's going to benefit them and it's not going to hurt your pocketbook all at once. Right. OK, so one of the other things that you said is to um, n- not what you call self-deploy. Yeah. So everybody has their best intentions on wanting to help animals and help help people, help the communities. But if you go and you're not asked to be there, you can actually become more of a problem than help. And I know that's really difficult for some people to understand, but if you self-deploy, then what that means is the people that are there to help officially now have to find food for you, lodging for you, um, make sure that you have you know, personal care. And then they also have to figure out what are your skills and, you know, what, how are you able to help? And there's times that it's really, it really doesn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. I've been at disasters where I've had people fly in from out of state wanting to help. And because we didn't ask and because they didn't have the, the certifications and the qualifications, we sent them back. Mm-hmm. And and it was really hard because they were there for the best intentions. Yeah. But, but it we just couldn't care for them in the way that they needed. And we, we didn't have those, the qualifications that they needed. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is really, really inspired to be on the ground, then they might look into getting trained for this type of thing for the future so that they could be one of those people who actually is uh, affiliated with one of these organizations that would actually send people and they would know what to do because it would be like, you know, and I can, it's such an emotional thing. I mean, gosh, I was, um, you know, in tears just looking at these photos this morning just for a second, like, oh, gosh, you know, it was like, okay, you know, I'm here. What can I do? And it's like, oh, hang on a second. Like, this yeah. is not just go in and, you know, it, like you said, there's, it's, it can be very dangerous and there's a lot of specific training involved in knowing how to do what, what you're supposed to do. You've got these two giant bags with you of all this gear that if and when you go, you'll have these two bags plus another. I mean, I could practically fit in that duffel bag, I think. Um, and you have another one and that's not even... That's all gear. Like, that's not your clothes and your, you know, 
Yeah, that, that's that's socks and underwear and stuff. That's like your gear. Yeah, the, the, and I know people on the radio can't see, but I brought two bags that are just my basic gear. One of them is more because I'm an EMT and I do, um, you know, the animal response. One of them is my first aid kit and first aid kit for animals. Also, the other one is all my water gear, so that way I can enter the flood area. And it's a the flood is a very hazardous environment. So one of the things I bet you don't know is I'm actually from Texas. Oh. Um, I'm actually from, I, I lived in the Dallas area. Okay. So, and I'm from Oklahoma. So I dealt with tornadoes and I dealt with flash floods on a regular basis um, where we lived. And so that's one of the reasons that I, you know, was pretty inspired to do some of these things is because I've seen it my entire life on what, how these disasters can happen. So the people that live there, they need to take care of themselves. So the photos that you're seeing are people trying to take care of themselves, take care of the animals and, and everything that's there. When we're talking self-deploying, we're talking about coming from Washington State or Oregon or wherever and flying in and then trying to help. help and, and it could become, it could become very difficult for the people that are there. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's a lot of training. I've been, I train all the time. I work in the fire service, so I train on a weekly basis on different kinds of responses. Yeah. Um, it also just seems like it would be sort of like clogging or cluttering with like, you know, all these people showing up. It seems like you would really want to not have anybody there who's not invited You're... like intentionally. Cause otherwise you just got like a clutter almost like human. No, I mean, best intentions right but it does seem like oh the the energy going into managing people who are just showing up or whatever versus like okay we've got a team everybody knows what to do they come with a plan and you don't you know it's just you, you hit the ground running versus like here i am what do i do to give me direction yeah you're you're right and when you think about it you have all these these people flying in so in the first of all flights are full yeah then what kind of rental cars are available right right, right. and then what kind of hotels are available when I go to these disasters, a lot of times I'm sleeping in inside of a semi truck, mm-hmm. semi trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some m- music stars that had uh, donated their tour buses that we've slept in, mm-hmm. and that's we're living in luxury if we're sleeping in one of those. Right. You have no electricity a lot of times, no cell service. So now you're bringing in all these people using all the amenities that they're possibly. Right. could be used for people that have better training right. um, and c- that can be can do a lot more. Yeah. So it can be difficult. And, and it's really it's really hard because everybody does have the best intentions sure. in trying to help. Yeah. Um, now, you had said specific to the flooding, you know, though, you have a whole water suit and, you know, there's respirators and that this water is contaminated. It's so talk a little bit more about that. So I've been on several floods, and one of the things that people don't think about is it's not just water that's in there. Yeah. Um, the, the water that, that's there, you know, if, if there are any animals that are dead or even human bodies, all of that that's contaminating the water, mm-hmm. along with um, any septic tanks. So there might be, you know, human waste in there, all the poisons that you have in your garage, mm-hmm. gasoline, all of that stuff is mm. there. On top of that, there might be a power line underground and somebody turns on a generator and charges that power line and you're in the water. 
Mm. Um, you may be walking in an area that you think is solid. Well, the water has has um, created like a sinkhole, and you might be walking normally, and all of a sudden you fall into a big hole or something. Mm-hmm. So there's a tremendous amount of hazards. One of the biggest hazards is, first of all, if you've ever been to Houston, you know that Houston is already hot and humid. So you're in a, we, we, we wear a dry suit. And it's called a dry suit because it doesn't let the water that's on the outside inside. But in truth, you're sweating so bad, you're not dry inside on, on a case like this. Mm-hmm. So it's dehydration is, is enormous for us. So we have to drink a lot of water. And, and it sounds silly, but even drinking water can be dangerous because if that water bottle has gotten into the contaminated water, now we're putting this in our mouth. Mm. So everything that we do, we have to think about how we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, so how do you um, emotionally... You know, so the emotional side is something yeah. that very rarely gets talked about. Yeah. And it's one of the biggest issues that we have in the animal rescue world yeah. and actually in the human rescue world, too. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things is and I always try to talk about this is you have to have a really strong support system at home because what you should not have to be worrying about what's going on at home when you're on a disaster because you're dealing with stresses that you can't imagine. Yeah. One of the other things is is if the two of us end up going on a disaster together, we we now have a bond for life and we can talk about things that we we felt, smelt, heard, you know, that we experienced on the disaster, but we not may not be able to talk about that to our loved ones mm-hmm. because it's too emotional. So right. it can be emotional to our loved ones as well as ourselves. There is PTSD that, that I've seen a disaster responders experience. And so there is a whole other group, and it's a group that I'm part of, that does disaster mental health also, mm. which is huge. And it's something that's becoming more and more common because the stresses that you are experiencing are enormous. Are there things that you can do to, to prevent... Um, or help equip people to not end up with PTSD? Well, I'm not, I'm not the best person to ask about that. Okay. Um, it depends on the situation. You know, in, in the fire service, we, we come across, you know, a, a car accident, and somebody may have PTSD from that, and so not really. Mm-hmm. In a case like this, going on a disaster, there's things that you can do to help protect yourself. Um, one is to make sure that you are eating properly, getting enough water. Whenever I go on a disaster, I have, I have quiet time where I go and do whatever I'm going to do. And I do that on a regular basis too. So I'm a photographer. And so one of the things that I'll go do is I'll go start taking photos. Um, I, if you, if you're a musician, maybe you you go and Play, the, play music or sing or whatever mm-hmm. just to clear your mind because we are dealing with some pretty stressful situations. Mm-hmm. And then to get enough sleep, yeah, which almost never happens right. uh, during disaster because you're sleeping, it's in, uncomfortable. In a tractor trailer. <laughs> exactly, yeah yeah. 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 
Well, it is a, such. I know that um, when we I talked with uh, Hope Animal Assisted Crisis yep. Crisis Response, yep. and kind of true with the world of therapy dogs in general, is that in pretty much most of the situations that I can think of, you know, in a hospital, for example, or uh, or a natural disaster. That the dogs are there, you know, almost as much for the workers as they are the people. So in a hospital, they're they're helping the patients and they're also helping the staff. You're exactly right. Who are dealing with their own stresses because it's just a stressful um, context. Yeah, and and you know, Hope is a great group because they're trained on this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the things that they're trained on is. If, if I go and I'm petting the animal, they're looking for the stresses that I might be experiencing also. And they can help with that or they can direct somebody to come help with that. Mm-hmm. Or they can just let you pet the, pet the dog. And a lot of times it's amazing the transformation I've seen people have with hope with when they start petting those animals. And it's it just you can see the load come off their shoulders. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things an analogy that I give a lot of times when I'm talking disaster mental health is if I were to hand you a bottle of water and you were to hold it with your arm straight out, it's not very heavy. But if you were to sit there and hold it for a really long time, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And eventually you have to put that down. Eventually you have to. You can't hold it the entire time. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you when you put that down. Are you gonna put it down and, and try to take care of yourself or is it just going to fall down and and you're going to crash and burn. Mm. So self-care is huge. It's enormous. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more. You've got these open bags of gear um, that you would be taking with you. Uh, so what are just some other items? So I mentioned the dry suit. The dry suit is, it doesn't allow any water in. So that's really important. Where a wetsuit, the way that a wetsuit works is it creates a layer of water in between you and the suit. So you can't wear a wetsuit. This wet or this dry suit that I have is a surface water dry suit. So it's not one that you would necessarily use for scuba diving. Right. It's specifically for like kayaking or river rafting or this one is really specifically for rescue. Uh-huh. Um, so it helps protect me. But on top of that, I have a... a PFD, which is basically a life jacket, personal flotation device is what yeah. that stands for. So it's a life jacket, but it's a it's a rescue life jacket. So it has different things on it that I if I need to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a helmet. Um, I have protection for my hands and feet, and then the respirator. So you know we mentioned water, but the other thing that's going to be happening probably pretty soon in that area is we're probably going to start having mold. And so you don't want to breathe, start breathing in that mold. Mm-hmm. So you may have to wear a respirator. And there's all kinds of different, different kinds of respirators. There's the, everything from like an N95 mask, which is, this is a horrible example, but similar to like a dust mask, all the way up to what a self-contained breathing apparatus, which is what firefighters use. Mm. And so there's, and there's a plethora of in-between. Mm-hmm. So depending on what those respirators are, First of all, you have to be fit tested for a respirator. So if you have facial hair that may not fit with the respirator because it doesn't create a seal. And then some people get really claustrophobic with those. Yeah. Um, and depending on the types, if you have, there's one called a papper 
I can't remember what PAPR stands for, but um, it has filters on it. So if it's something with filters, you need to make sure you have the proper filter for the proper environment. Mm -hmm. So it gets really technical with some of those things. What has been, uh, actually, I'm going to save this. We're going to hear from our supporters and we'll be back talking with Tim Percival. What do you, uh, how do you identify yourself? Jack, you know, like. Well, I do quite a, quite a few things. Um, in this particular case, you can just say, um, I, I guess, just a responder with various animal organizations. Okay. Um, we're talking about the uh, Hurricane Harvey and, and the Houston area and um, how you can help, um, you know, sending money if you're just tuning in. Uh, send money, not things. And that way the organizations can buy specifically what they need. And also, they would have the opportunity to purchase those things from local stores and, uh, you know, support the local economy, which is really hurting from something like this. Um, and if you've missed any part of this episode, you, you can find it on iTunes as a free download and also archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. And I'll also post it to our Facebook page as well. So if you haven't found us on Facebook, be sure to do so. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Tim Percival. Standing on the corner with the low-down blues Great big hole in the bottom of my shoes Honey, let me be your salty dog Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs) This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to animal communicator, intuitive, medium, and Reiki master Darcy Pariso, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 3rd, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll check with local shelters and rescues to find out how they're doing and what kind of help they need, including a check on Homeward Pet and Missy's Pet Rescue and the Ananda Institute of Living Yoga. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country, but if you live in Western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. 
That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. I won't be your little man at all. Honey, let me be your salty dog. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Back talking with Tim Percival, who is a disaster responder, among other things. He's taught pet first aid classes and all sorts of stuff. And uh, we're talking about... Um, just kind of going over information about how you can help uh, the people and animals who are being impacted right now by Hurricane Harvey in the Houston area, um, going over lots of details of the most effective ways to help, what to do, what not to do. Um, people with the best intentions might end up actually causing uh more trouble than good um, just because they don't know. And how would you know? So, um, and if you've missed any part of the show, it will be posted on our Facebook page. You can go to iTunes and download any of our over 440 episodes, I think, now, and uh, also archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. Um, so I was, uh, we were talking in the break about the behavioral aspect of this and um, you know, one of the challenges of um, being a uh, responder for animals and, and sort of rescuing animals is that they're not all going to be like, yes, I'll get in the boat or come take, you know, come and pick me up stranger in all your gear. Yeah. We look like monsters, right? Yeah, and we sound like monsters if we're wearing a respirator. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of dogs that, you know, bite Santa Claus because they're freaked, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. this big costume that's really weird. Yeah. Or there's, you know. So, um, and of course, you know, in every show that I do about dog behavior, which is my area of expertise, everybody is an individual just like people. So you, I imagine your answer is... It really varies. You know, you get some animals that are like, oh, thank God you're here. Take me. And then some that might be um, not so willing because they're fear, you know, they're in a state of trauma. They're fearful. They're whatever. Or maybe they already have an issue with strangers. Right. Yeah. We get a, we, we see the, the gamut. We yeah. have animals that run to us and animals that run from us. Mm. And then we have the challenges of animals that have never been on a leash never been in a crate so we're, we're getting in we find a dog and we want to put it in the boat but before we put it in the boat we need to put it in a crate and it's never been in a crate mm -hmm. so trying to do that while it's on a boat it's it's challenging mm -hmm. i often um when people ask me they've they've got a new puppy or they've just adopted a dog or you know whatever you know what do i think about crates you know do i need to crate train my dog He's fine, loose, he's not destructive, you know. And for the reason of if your dog ever needs to be at a veterinarian for, you know, got hurt or needs to be in a crate or something like this happens and there's some other reason why the dog just has to be in a crate, you're going to set your dog up for success if you work with him or her to be comfortable in a crate so that if that situation does happen, 
that stress, you know, that added stress isn't going to be there for them. Yeah, not to go off topic a little bit, but talking disaster preparedness. Yeah. Everybody wants to buy things for disaster preparedness, but there's things that you need to do. And one of the most important for your animals is to get them crate trained so that if there is a house fire or an earthquake or in this case, a hurricane. Yeah. They're going to be that much more comfortable mm-hmm. inside of a crate. Well, we'll get to how to prepare in a, in a minute because I do want to talk a little bit about that so that we're sort of left with like, OK, gosh, this is every time this happens, I think I need to get prepared and all that kind of stuff. But back to the behavior. So, um, you know, one of the things that you said that was interesting is that, you know, there's the animals that you might, you know, bust into a home, second floor of a home and you find, you know, a couple dogs or something like that and then kind of negotiating that. But then dogs who are sort of displaced and end up just running and that they can sort of go into like a pack mentality kind of thing. And they, then they can behave a different way that they, than they would as a family pet. Yeah. It's really interesting when they go into that pack mentality, it's, it's a completely different behavior than if they were separate and it can sometimes be somewhat dangerous uh, depending on what you're doing. Or it may make it more difficult to capture even a single a single dog because they are working as a group. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about where canines came from, that's what they did. They they worked in a group in a, in a pack, mm-hmm. and so it's it's really interesting to see how they revert back to that, and then it creates several different challenges for rescuers. The interesting thing that comes up for me around that, which I am I I never shy away from an opportunity to point this out, is um, the research done. Um, well, there was, uh, two sets of research done kind of around the same time. I want to say it was in the fifties or sixties. Um, and one was on forced packs, captive wolves, and one was on wolves in the wild and, and they're natural. And that, uh, captive animals, captive wolves and forced packs had much more rigid, um, hierarchy, uh, whereas wolves in the wild really more live in families and that there is hierarchy in the sense of there's, you know, parents first, you know, so in, in like an age hierarchy similar to people. Um, but this whole like alpha thing w- with the way that that word feels, you know, you say alpha and you, you kind of. Yeah. You know, you don't think of uh, a family, you know, family life. More dictatorship. Just, yeah. And that that that, that information, the, re, uh, that, uh, the research that was done on the forced packs, wolves in captivity, was the one that was marketed to the masses. Hmm. And I'm That's thinking, because I work with dog behavior and training, and I teach people how to communicate with their pets, and there's so much confusion around it. I know I'm supposed to be alpha- but what is that? I mean, there's this disconnect. It's like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. And this is my baby. Like, yeah. so why I'm not really like, huh, I don't want to be like, have this militant relationship, but it's important that they respect you and, you know, and all that. But so anyway, so that makes sense because if that's the case, those are forced packs. That's a whole bunch of dogs from the area who are all of a sudden together in a stressful situation. So you have the stress of being, you know, and then they're they're all just kind of winging it, sort of. 
yeah, they're, they're working together trying to figure out where food, where yeah. they can get, you know, food, shelter. So it makes sense that they might have a tendency to be more edgy, uh, aggressive because of the circumstances, the situation and all that kind of stuff. We're not talking about, you know, oh, natural dog behavior from wolves in the wild who've never, you know. Yeah. So another challenge. And then you said just kind of interestingly, cats, and this is important for, um, I know this information has come up when I've talked about missing pets and how to reunite with a missing pet um, and what are the, what are the the smarter things to do as far as if your if your cat gets out? Well, was it an indoor cat versus an outdoor cat? And like you said, cats will hide a lot of times. Yeah, they they will stay in one place for days. Yeah, and uh, so it's a completely different way that we capture cats. First, we'll, we're going to use a trap probably to mm-hmm. to capture them. Of course, a live trap where it's not going to injure them. Sure, but it's it's. It is a completely different thing, and yeah. it's trying. When we're going out, we're trying to think the way a cat would, or the way a dog would, or the way um, a cow would. Is you know what, mm-hmm. whatever. So that way, we can try to to capture these animals. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I haven't really mentioned is we're talking about capturing the animals, but before you can capture the animals, you need to make sure you have a plan put in place. So if I grab a dog and I don't have a crate or a or a shelter to put it the animal, yeah. then I'm, I may be doing more harm to the animal than if I were just to leave it there for a little while. Mm. And that's one of the other issues that we run across in disasters like this is we have people that decide to go out and capture animals, but then they're putting them in their car. Well, this dog may have never been in their car, inside of a car, plus it's contaminated. So now you're contaminating your car, they're ripping up your car, and then you're trying to take it to a shelter that's at capacity that can't handle it. Right. So now you're going to have to bring it back to your home and maybe this animal has some sort of communicable disease that's going to transfer over to your yeah. other, your other animal or maybe yeah. a zoonotic disease that transfers over to you. Right. So many layers. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then one thing that you pointed out too is that the behavior of a, of a dog, uh, for example, um, in a shelter is not how they behave at home typically. And this is something that uh, I come across a lot and not even just in the shelter, but often for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you know, after they even get into a new home, they're still in survival mode. So you don't, you know, one kind of appreciating that you're not necessarily going to see, well, this dog is behaving this way now, but that's not how it behaves in a home uh, where they're not super stressed out and having gone through this whole thing. Um, so, that's just another layer of kind of complication and kind of brings me back to that whole like, well, get your dog comfortable in a crate. So at least if they have to be, you know, in that situation, they're not dealing with that. So an emergency temporary shelter is just that it's an emergency and it's temporary. Yeah. Temporary could be a week. It could be years. So that that term is kind of mm-hmm. um, irrelevant. But think of yourself. So let's go back to Katrina and everybody saw photos of Katrina back with the Superdome and all the people staying in the Superdome, right? right. The, yeah, it, they were able to survive in there, yeah. but it wasn't comfortable for them. No. They're sleeping in a cot with a million other people. Now, these animals are doing the same thing. They're, they're staying in a crate with a million other animals. Uh, they can never sleep because anybody that's ever been in a shelter knows that dogs just bark all the time. Mm-hmm. So 
usually there's quiet times, but it, it's they're not getting the rest. They're not getting the attention. They're stuck in a crate. They're getting walks however however much they can, but the, the rescue people, personnel, are already strapped. So yeah. these animals are highly stressed yeah. in most cases. So, yeah, it's really hard to tell the behavior of the animals in the shelter versus when you get them home. Mm-hmm. Well, and that kind of um, reminds me of PTSD and animals, which You're, I've actually done. I talked with uh, Frank McMillan about that, who did research on that. Um, I think he's with Best Friends Animal Society, and uh, I think it was specifically about puppy mill dogs, but that dogs can have a, their version of PTSD and, and re- certainly experience trauma and then, you know, kind of a, the whole road after that, you know. Not to get off track, because I want to make sure that we do talk about um, what are some of the main things that people can do to prepare for something like this, specifically with their pets in mind? So first of all, try to figure out what kind of disaster you're going to have. Mm-hmm. Here in the Pacific Northwest, it pretty much runs a gamut. So um, make sure you prepare for just about everything. Okay. But um, Right. Awesome. Yeah. I think of earthquake. The, but... Earthquake, we have windstorms, we could have a tsunami, we can have... Well, I, well, and the uh, fires, wildfires, and the, yeah, yeah. yeah I go out to wildfires yeah. all the time, so yeah. um, it, it just goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So think about those those things. Um, the most important things are identification of of your animal for reunification back okay. to you. So microchips are a must, but if you have a microchip, it's also really important to keep the information up to date. So if you move. Make sure you you contact the microchip company so that way they know that you've moved. So when your animal does get scanned, they can find you. Mm -hmm. Um, Make sure that they have proper tags. And then another really important thing is to have photos of your animal. And make sure you have several photos of your animal. If you have a black lab, how many black labs are out there? So if your black lab has a little white spot on its chest, take pictures of of the black lab everywhere and make sure you include the photo of... uh, you know, include the, the little white spot. And then it's also really important to have a picture of you with your animal, because if you're going into a shelter trying to get your animal, um, it's, it's really easy for us to be able to say, oh yeah, this, here's this black lab with this little white spot. And it's definitely the same dog. So what, when you say have photos, like, well, what, so is that for somebody to have to be reunited Yes. So it would be something that they, um, because I think I've heard like you want to have like the information like on the crate. Correct. Um, But then like what if you had to like leave your animal behind or something like that and then, or you were separated, like maybe you weren't home when something happened and you couldn't get back home. You bring up a good point and that's exactly what I'm talking about. So I've been on floods before where people they were at work and whenever they got home, they couldn't make it home. So, right. uh, so that's, we had the, we, we got their animals that way. Okay. So yeah, that's exactly. So you can be reunited with the animal if for some reason it ends up being in a shelter when, you know, because you're not able to get to it or something. Yeah. Okay. But you also bring up a good point with having personal information, um, on the crate. So make sure you have your personal information, Veterinary records are really important. Um, when we're going into a shelter situation, depending on what the protocol is, a lot of times we're giving 
rabies shots and we're giving certain certain vaccinations to these animals so we don't create you know a, a major issue later on but if you have that vaccination record then we we won't do that so you, you may have just gotten a rabies shot yesterday for your dog and we may give it another one today because we don't have any record of that mm-hmm. and so would they just sort of tape that to the like seal that and put it on the crate or something to have just ready or one of, one of your best friends when it comes to disasters are ziploc bags mm. so put take ziploc bag with whatever inf- personal like the gallon size yeah. two gallon size ziploc bag yep. and and uh, tape it to the outside of your crate and just keep it there and that'll have photos and everything in there so that way you're you're ready to go okay. um so th- yeah identification is really important and just keep it all right there on the crate if you're talking livestock, you keep it inside uh, your trailer or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So just okay. depending on what kind of animal you have. Okay. What else? Uh, so if your animal's on special kind of food, make sure you have that special kind of food accessible. Because if you're in a disaster, your local pet store is probably impacted by this also. So make sure you have, you have extra food and you know places outside of the area where you can get food. Find hotels or people that you can stay with with your animal outside your area. So that way, if you need to go somewhere else, you have somewhere to go with with your dog, cat, guinea pig, whatever it be. And have it set up in advance. Correct. Like, hey, we've got this agreement. If something happens here, we're coming to you. Exactly. And that's okay. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, and it's in your entire family. So make sure they realize it's going to be you, your kids. And all of your animals. Yeah. And our goats. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's really important too. Yeah. And then um, make sure you have cash, you know, yeah. make sure you take care of yourself, but make sure you have cash because uh, there, there may not be cell phone. There may not be credit card. You know, you may not be able to take any of that. So you want to make sure you have cash on hand and people always ask how much cash and I can't really give an, an amount, but uh, the more, the better. Definitely. The more, the better. Yeah. But prepare yourself to for food and water for you and your pets for up to two weeks. Okay. We used to say three days. And the reason for three days is it's going to take three days for responders to get there. But it's better to be more prepared for, you know, at least three weeks or two weeks. I'm sorry. Yeah. We have a lot of water and like more than I, you know, we have like a water cooler kind of thing. So I store 10 you know, five gallon things of it. And we use it, you know, we give our clients water and we use it for us and stuff, but to just, that's kind of part of my thing is making sure that we've got fresh water, always extra food. Um, Cause we have more than, you know, more than a dog yeah. at our place. And um, so those are things like if you're kind of, you know, down to the last bit of food and then all of a sudden something happens and then you don't have a backup. So we always try to kind of, store extra so that we're um so we do at least have what we what we need on hand if that you know would help yeah and then if you if your dog is on a certain kind of diet you might want to see how they do with another type of food that may be easier to get Mm -hmm. Um, same with you you can buy these bricks of food that taste like bricks of food Mm -hmm. um but if you can if depending on how that's going to make you feel or you want some comfort, and so you want some, the same thing with your dog. So make sure you have some comfort. So have a toy in there also, mm. something that they're going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought of was that when we were talking about all the dogs in a shelter, um, they're eating whatever. 
And there's so many dogs that have sensitivities just to something different or who have allergies to this or that. And a lot of the foods I imagine that get donated are not, you know, your local. So generally what we do, everybody's a little bit different, but generally what we do is we take several different kinds of food and we mix them together. So that at least so they're... They're getting something. Right. And um, and then we, we track how much they're eating. And, and uh, if there's if you're lucky enough to have a veterinarian on on, uh, on board, mm-hmm. then they're tracking, you know, intake and then what outtake also, if you right, know right, what right. I mean. So, yeah. so we're, we're trying to keep track of that as much as possible, trying to care for the animal the best way we can. Yeah. So in the last few minutes, and we do, we have a whole show that we did. Um, we've actually done a couple of them over the years on more about disaster preparedness, um, getting into more detail about that. And you can find those archived on our website, iTunes. Um, Tim Percival is our guest today. Um, anything else as far as preparedness or any, you know, just on this topic or, and then, um, you know, also we'll, we'll give out the information again on how best to help. Yeah. I, you know, the big one right now, it's really in the media and everybody's really paying attention to it. And if you're going to donate, make sure you're donating to a legitimate cause and you're, you're not putting yourself at danger of being scammed. But then also this is going to be ongoing. So, you know, I love the monthly idea Mm -hmm. because it's going to be going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. So that would really benefit for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we mentioned this. I know we talked about it. I don't know if we mentioned it on air at the beginning of the show, but um, to be careful about like a a personal GoFundMe, like, hey, I'm so-and-so and and I'm, I've started this GoFundMe to benefit the whoever organization, that money isn't going directly to the organization. It's going to whoever's GoFundMe. And there's, it's real easy to, for that money to not actually end up going to where they say it's going to go. Um, so donating directly to organizations, either national or local. Um, you said looking at, um, what did you, something jurisdiction, major jurisdiction? So places that have jurisdiction of authority. So it might be, uh, um, like, if it were to happen here, like Seattle Animal Shelter or, or RASC or something like that. But then also look at the legitimate, um, the legitimate shelters in the area. Mm-hmm. So you have several of them. You have Seattle Humane, you have Posado Safe Haven, you have PAWS. And you can go on and on with all these different organizations that, that are legitimate and that can, can do really good work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's going to be the same thing down in Houston. It's just important that you look to make sure that, that whoever you're donating to is spending the money that you want them to spend. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you can do is if you want this money to only go to, to let's say, it, I don't know, maybe special needs dogs. Yeah. You, you might, you know, you see a dog on their, their, their website and you say, you know what, I only want it to go to these kinds of dogs. Then they can try to earmark that to go to those specific kinds of dogs. Mm-hmm. So, so that's something to keep in mind too. And then the other thing, which I really hadn't thought of is, Area shelters and rescue groups. Um, Austin Pets Alive was one that, that you guys mentioned. Uh, AustinPetsAlive.org. Um, you know, San Antonio, you mentioned even Oklahoma. Um, so surrounding cities that would be taking in um, animals who have been displaced by 
this event um, and that they, you know, that would be another option for donation as well, because some of those um, groups or shelters that are actually in it may not really be functioning fully or at all because they are impacted, too. So um, thank you so much again for your time and, sure. and my best to you if and when you do get down there for safe travels. And thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you back. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.